Peru about a year ago it was now and he supplied uh, Wednesday we have our Wednesday services in the morning that works out best for us so he was able to come over and preach and then um, <clears throat> my dad fell and broke his hip and elbow in Memorial Day weekend last year so he was able to come over and help us Wednesdays then and so uh, finally glad to be able to repay him and uh, come over but we thank you all for it I was commenting earlier to some of the uh, brethren here that uh, uh, New Year's Eve didn't feel two months ago. It's really gone by quick, and uh, but we're we're thankful to be back over here. I want to speak this evening on the subject of do we know what time it is? Do we know what time it is? <clears throat> I'm afraid. Many people don't. I hope and trust that you do. want to read here, if you would, beginning at verse 11. Paul, writing to the saints at Rome, he says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. <clears throat> as I said, we take our text and our, our title, Do We Know What Time It Is? Paul wrote to the saints of God at, at Rome and he told them, he said, you ought to know what time it is. And we ought to know what time it is as well. Scriptures are very plain and very clear. And uh, without a doubt, the coming of the Lord is drawing nigh. And we know the Bible tells us the Lord gave us in His Scriptures, in His Word, many things. He told us it would be as in the days of Noah. Well, what were the days of Noah like? Well, Noah preached 120 years, and he was a preacher of repentance, a preacher of righteousness, and at the end of 120 years, it was him, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. So we see the Bible tells us that there was a lack of conversion, wasn't there? Real Bible, Holy Spirit, God sent conversion. We also find the Bible said that when the Lord comes again, it's going to be like the days of Lot. Well, we know what the days of Lot are referring to. Lot dwelled in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was saved. We know he was righteous because the Bible tells us he was. And the Bible tells us that he lived in a very wicked land, didn't he? A very wicked place. Well, if you were to go through and read Genesis chapter 18 and 19 and look at the characteristics of that, it's really not all that different from the place you and I live in, is it? It's true. It's true. I mean, I know folks like to say, well, we're here and, you know, it's kind of like Florida, you know, it's become the new Texas, you know. Don't mess with Texas. Uh, well, people are messing with Texas and they're messing with Florida. The reality is, is that many of the signs of His coming are before us. Look, if you would, over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, briefly. just want to 
lay some foundation principles, but the Bible tells us here that there are some characteristics of the day in which the Lord will come again. And, and I, 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 I graduated high school in, in the year 2000. Lord saved me in 1999. I graduated high school in 2000. And I remember thinking, well, yes, the Lord, He's coming again. The Bible declares that. And you could look through these verses and, and you could say, well, I can see some of these, but, you know, it really it seems like there's a lot a lot more to take place. Well, in the last three years, a lot has taken place. A great deal has happened. And now, if you can't see it, may God open your eyes. Because you about have to trip over it without even trying. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And that simply means dangerous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. That's not talking about people who can't make it through a 45-minute sermon without going to the bathroom either. That's talking about people who don't have any power. They don't have any self-control. And he says here that they're going to be incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's a characteristics, is what Paul said, of the last days. And I believe we've been in the last days for a long time now. We're in the last days of the last days, if you would. So the question we propose before us is, do we know what time it is? Well, I cannot say with the Apostle Paul, if you look here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse, uh, verse 6, Paul, the Bible tells us, he said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I can't say that with the same certainty and, and, and conviction that Paul was able to say that. I haven't made full proof of my ministry as he wrote about in verse 5. That's on me. And I'm afraid that the case is true with much of us. Much of us who have been saved by the grace of God, some saved for years, some called to preach, some pastors in some churches, we've had it easy. We've had it easy for a while now. We have done as they did in the days of the prophet Haggai, or Haggai, or however you want to pronounce it. Haggai spoke to the people and he said, Listen, y'all have dwelt in your own homes, and you've got sealed up houses and tiled up roofs, but the house of God is lying in waste. And I'm not talking about the drywall or the sheetrock or any of that. I'm talking about the spiritual house of God, the Lord's church. In a lot of places, they got real nice buildings, but spiritually, we're lying in waste. 
And that's because we have become asleep. You know, one of these days we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to give an account. Look over, if you would, in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And I'd like to read here. Give me a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you would. And I want you to observe here what Paul's writing about. He's writing about the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to read here in verse, verse 10. And, and there's the, the, the judgment seat of Christ where the believers will appear, and then there's the great white throne judgment where the unbelievers, the lost, will be, and they'll be judged before it. There's two different judgments. And the Bible tells us here about this judgment seat in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Then notice verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. He's not talking about lost people at the great white throne judgment. He's talking about saved people at the Bema or judgment seat of Christ. And he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. I know a lot of people are real big about, oh, one day there's going to be no more tears. He's going to wipe them all away. Well, there's going to be some tears at the judgment seat because we failed Christ. Because we're going to stand before Him. And at the judgment seat, the Bible tells us that there's going to be rewards and loss of rewards. Some are going to lose their rewards. You will not lose salvation because that's the work of God. That foundation is finished. We are kept by the power of God. It is independent of my work or your work. But what's built on that foundation, that's on you and me. And I'm afraid we just haven't been building like we should. The Bible tells us, and we know there's a great deal of things going on today. Many have departed from the faith. Many have grown lukewarm. Many have given in to the spirit of this age. They've changed worship into entertainment. They've departed from the best English translation of the Bible there is. They have changed worship. Many have left landmarkism and conformed to things of this world. Many have left their first love. Many have grown lukewarm as the church at Laodicea. We've been real comfortable. The church at Laodicea said, oh, we, we, we have increased and, and we have need of nothing. And God said, you're poor, you're wretched, you're naked, you're blind. You have need of everything. And you know what the counsel He gave them was? To buy of me gold tried in the fire. You know what that is representative of? Trials and tribulations. He says, you need some trials and tribulations from me. See, when things are all going well, guess what happens? Like the children of Israel, we turn away from God. 
And when things are troublesome, we turn back unto God and cry out unto Him. That's what we need to do. you got a great prayer list. I hope you really take it seriously. Amen. I hope today is not the only day you look at it. For some of you, you can put it in your Bible. You'll see it every day. For others, maybe you ought to tape it in front, on your TV or your cell phone. Maybe you ought to make it your home screen so when you open up your cell phone, you see your prayer list. We find here that the Bible tells us, and there's things in, 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 in 2 Timothy chapter 3 about the last days I never would have thought. I never would have thought they would be telling us that women aren't women and men aren't men and you can change from being a woman to a man and we can cut off genitalia and you can be this, that, or the other. I never would have thought of such absurdity. But Satan's really good. And the spirit of this age, the spirit of Antichrist, he's working. And it would be a whole lot worse if the spirit of God was not hindering him. That's true. Amen. We have made ourselves gods and worship the God of self. You know, in the days of Lot, do you remember how they came to Lot's house and banged on his door? And they said, we want to know those men that have come in unto you. They wanted to have sex with them. I mean, let's be, let's be honest. That's what that was. And Lot did something horrific. He said, no, but you can have my two virgin daughters. I can't even imagine that. But that's what he did. And we sacrifice our kids at the altar of athleticism, the altar of, you know, whatever it is, instead of instructing them in the way of the Lord. I mean, there's more people at the ball field on the Lord's Day than there are in churches. And you have less than a 1% chance that you're going to be a professional athlete. Less than one. And I love sports. But I also want you to think about this. They came to his door and they said this. We want those men. He says, you can't have them. And they said, you know what? Not only are we going to have them, but then we're going to turn and do worse to you. Do you understand what they're saying? You will comply. You will conform. That is the spirit that this world, that the Antichrist, the spirit of this age has. That's what we're dealing with. You see, it's not just, well, there's laws on the books. They don't care about the laws on the books. The people who are supposed to be enforcing those laws are as crooked as the criminals. I know a lot of people like say, well, we've got the Constitution. They don't care. They don't care what it says. The Constitution is not your shield. It's not your buckler. It's not your high tower. That's Christ. So we better get used to hiding in Him. He's our refuge. 
Now why is all of this taking place? Well, let's look in Psalm number 2. Psalm number 2. And you see all the things going on today, and many people say, well, why is it? Well, it's sin, but I'll tell you here, it's, it's a real push. It's, it's a military push by the evil forces. Remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, do we? That's what Paul said. We wrestle against principalities, we wrestle against spiritual things in high places. That's why he gave, God gave us the armor of God. But you observe here in Psalm number 2, verse 1, Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and casteth away their cords from us. That is what it's all about. We will not have this man to reign over us. They will not submit to God. They will not submit to Christ. They will go after Him and His people because they are raging against the Lord. And it's going to come to your front door. Some of you, it may not happen in your lifetime. Others of us, I believe it will. You will comply. We have a rich history of our Baptist forefathers. And they paid for it with their blood. It may come down to that. And I'm not trying to speak hyperbole. I mean the reality of it. Now as we look here, there are two plans running in the world today. There is the plan of the Antichrist, the plan of Satan, and then there's God's plan of salvation. And if you look back in our text of Romans chapter 13, Paul says, it is high time to wake up. You see, he's riding under the saints at Rome, and he says, listen, church, You're sleeping and you need to wake up. He writes unto them in verse 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The day when Jesus Christ comes forth in the air for His people is nearer today than when you believed and were saved. And that's going to happen in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. No man knows the day. But it's going to happen. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. He said, if I, if I, I go to prepare a place for you, and I'll come again and receive you unto myself. If it were not so, I would tell thee. Now the Bible tells us, and this is a characteristic of many churches, it's a characteristic of a lot of the Lord's churches. See, this church here is a lighthouse in Sefner. This is your Jerusalem right here. And then you have a Judea and a Samaria and an uttermost part of the world. 
But this right here is your Jerusalem. And you have to fill this place with the doctrine of the Lord. You need to turn this city upside down even as they did in the book of Acts. And the Bible tells us that we're not doing it, we're asleep. Well, there's some characteristics of sleeping. Number one, one of the characteristics of sleeping is you have reduced activity. I don't know about you, but when I sleep, I don't have as much activity as I do during the day. In fact, your breathing slows down. Your heart rate slows down. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, or excuse me, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, they went everywhere preaching the Word. I mean, be honest with yourselves. When is the last time you talk to a lost person about their need of Christ? I don't know. I don't I mean I'm I'm here. I haven't been here since the end of December. You know you, I don't know you. When's the last time you talk to somebody about their need of Christ? How about your kid? How about your spouse? How about your parent? How about your neighbor? How about your doctor? We just heard a laundry list of people who have doctor's appointments. Is your doctor saved? Is the staff saved? You don't have to take tracks and walk around the community of Sefner. You can bear witness where you go. Doc, I know I'm here. I know I'm not feeling good. But I gotta ask you something. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? What's that take? Less than 30 seconds? Not complicated. It's not difficult. But when we're asleep, we have reduced activity. Be honest with yourselves too. How many of you are reading your Bible every day? How many are reading it twice a week? Three times a week? Four times a week? If you hit four times a week, you are 60% more likely to talk to someone about the Lord. If you spend 15 minutes a day reading your Bible. Isn't that amazing? Another act Another thing that happens when we sleep is I lie down with my eyes closed. I don't, I don't sleep standing up. I'm not a horse. I lie down, I close my eyes, I go to sleep. The Bible tells us Christ, He was teaching His disciples and He said, He told them a parable about Ten virgins. They were all asleep. I'm not going to go into the principle of what I believe that's teaching. I will tell you, I believe that they, it, was, it was indicative of churches. Five of them had oil, five didn't. Five of them had the Holy Spirit, five didn't. But they were all asleep. Faith Baptist Church of Sefner, are you asleep? Because they were all asleep. Every one of them. And when the cry went forth, 
The bridegroom cometh. They all woke up. That's Christ. Another thing that happens when you are asleep is your decreased response to external stimuli. Apparently this is true unless you're a mother. Because my wife hears everything when she's asleep. I used to go, we lived in Kansas, I was pastoring there. Our daughter, she's here. She had a lot of problems sleeping. I'd get up, I'd go to the church building, 5 a.m. in the morning, morning, oh thank God she slept through the night, come home. Oh, wasn't it great? Emma slept through the night. My wife goes, you don't know what you're talking about. I was up all night with her. But when I'm asleep, there's reduced, how do I word it, response to external stimuli. We sleep through things. Well, we've been sleeping through things a long time in this country as churches. We've been sleeping through the murder of babies. We've been sleeping through now all the transgenderism. We've been sleeping through all the things that have happened in this country and we've done absolutely nothing because we're asleep. Oh, isn't it terrible? Look what's going on. Look what they're doing. Look what's happened. Oh, them, 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 them. We're part of this. We're a part of this nation. God's people, His churches have been asleep and a lot has happened and we still have not woken up. But I want you to notice something about sleep. Praise God. Sleep is a state that's relatively easy to reverse. It's not death. It's sleep, isn't it? And you can go from being dead asleep to wide awake. Relatively easy. And that's what Paul is saying to the saints at Rome. It's high time to wake up. It's not time to wake up. It's high time to wake up. Because our salvation is nearer than when we believe. Told you the Lord saved me in 1999. Guess what? Here we are. 24 years. Coming up on 24 years later. And my salvation's nearer, isn't it? When the Lord is going to come and receive me unto Himself, when He is going to redeem this body. He's already redeemed the soul and the spirit. And He's going to take this body and He's going to change it. Mortality will put on immortality. Corruption is going to put on incorruption. But it's time to wake up. We read there in Psalm number 2 about how the heathen are raging. And the Lord, the Lord, the Bible tells us, turn back there, we got a a few minutes here. Psalm number 2. And I want you to notice here, verse 4. It 
You see, the rulers of this world are taking counsel against the Lord's anointed. And it's been going on a long time. Before I was born, the rulers of this world had taken counsel against him. And I want you to notice verse 4, it says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. See, all that's happening in the world today does not affect God or His plan, does it? See, all the things that you and I worry about. Oh, gas prices are this. Oh, food costs are this. All the other things. You know, the conspiracy theories that I'll be doggone if that, if that wasn't right. And all the other ones that are coming ahead that who knows what's going to happen. God said He's sitting in the heavens laughing. They're making plans and He's chuckling. I'll have them in derision. Now I want you to notice, that's, that's God, right? That's His response to all of this. Now I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 5. What, what should our response be? What should the, the response of the Bible Baptist Church in Plant City be? And what should, should the response of Faith Baptist Church here in Sefner? I've got the name right, correct? Just Faith Baptist Church. I, I once said Bible Baptist, and Brother McDonald correct me, said it's the Bible Baptist. I said, okay. <clears throat> what should our response be? Really, in reality, what should the response of every New Testament missionary Baptist church of the Lord's be? Well, I want to read here in Acts chapter 5. And... I want to start at verse 17 if I could. Here, you know, the church had been preaching, had been carrying out the Great Commission. And the Bible says, verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came and they that were with him and called the, the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison... They returned and told, saying, The prison truly found. I apologize. I wanted to be in chapter 4. I said chapter 5. I read chapter 5, but I want to be in chapter 4. What's our response? What is our duty? What's my duty? Well, in Acts 4 and verse 23, it said, And being let go, they had, been, they had been, again, sternly admonished not to preach Christ. You think there might come a day when we're told we can't preach? When we can't assemble? I mean, 
I, I don't know what you all believed or what you all did, and that's neither here nor there. But when they said, oh, we need, to, we need places to shut down, you know, for, for what was it, 15 days or whatever it was, you know, with COVID. And, and I, I told the church, we got a lot of older people. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do, but keep an eye on them. Because I think they're trying to pull one on us. And when everything's been done, I said, we will never close the doors again. If you don't want to come, that's on you. We will never close the doors again. That was kind of like, you know, the beta test. What will they do? What will they do? How will they respond? How much power can we have over them? And so here in chapter 4, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God. Do you see what the church did? They've been threatened. They've been told, don't preach anymore. Don't preach in Christ's name. And the first thing they did was they came and they assembled together and they prayed and they said, Lord, Thou art God. See, they refocused. See, the government, the rulers of this world, the county administrators, the mayor, they're not God. The Lord is God. So they refocused and they reset their sight and their vision on Christ because every time we take our eyes off of Jesus, we're going to be like Simon Peter and we're going to sink in the water. And so the first thing they did was they reset their focus on Him. Lord, Thou art God. Remember that He is God. The next, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of Thy servant David had said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? What did they do next? They went to the Scriptures. First they prayed to God, then they then the continuing prayer, they looked at the scriptures. They had they had the Old Testament, that's all they had. And they went to the scriptures and they said, Here's what the Bible says that the heathen are raging against your Christ. Verse 26, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now notice verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. See, we get threatened and we cower. Or we don't even get threatened. We think, well, well, if I do this, then here's what they're going to do. We cower at the thought of maybe a threatening might probably, possibly take place. And so I better not. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Boy, that's a prayer, isn't it? God, you behold their threatenings. 
This is what they're telling us. This is what they're saying is going to happen. This is what they're saying they're going to do. If I preach against this, preach against that, Lord, they're threatening this, they're threatening that. Cast all your cares on Him, for He careth for you. Like, actually cast them on Him. Don't just talk about it. Actually cast them. Lord, behold their threatenings. Now notice, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So first they said, God, behold their threatenings. And then secondly, grant boldness to us. Grant boldness. You know, give us courage. You read Joshua chapter 1, you'll find about courage and boldness. He says, give us boldness. We've got authority. We're the Lord's kind of a church. We've got the Gospel. We've got the Spirit. But we, we, we're kind of cowardly, aren't we? This pulpit is a great place to stand behind and preach. A lot of ministers, a lot of pastors, real bold here. But out there, we're cowards. Out there, churches are cowards. Oh, I believe this. I believe that. I believe God's sovereign. But then we go out there and we can't even wear witness or bear testimony for Him. Grant unto us boldness. When have you prayed that? God, I need boldness. I got a, a brother-in-law who's not saved. I got a sister-in-law who's not saved. I got in-laws who aren't saved. I've got children who aren't saved. I got friends, family, co-workers who are not saved. Give me boldness to preach the gospel to them. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. How shall they believe except they hear? How shall they hear except one be sent? Well, if you're a member of this church, you've been sent. Now, I don't know who you got. I don't know who, who in your family needs to know about the Lord, but I'd encourage you to make a list and pray over that list and ask God to give you boldness and go to them. Literally go to them. Just show up at their door. Don't take six months planning it. You know, we got a plan that takes Baptist six months to do anything. Doesn't take six months to, oh, let's go to the beach. We pack up, we go to the beach. Takes six months for us to decide whether or not we're going to go preach a gospel, have a meeting, whatever. Just go over there. Don't plan it out. You've been born again? Are you saved? Oh, I came over here because the Lord burdened me with your spiritual welfare. Do you know the Lord is your Savior? Have you repented and believed? You need to wake up. And we need to ask God for boldness to speak thy word. Speak thy word. Telling people to walk this aisle, pray this prayer, that's not His word, is it? His word is repentance and faith. His word is trust on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's His word. 
So they prayed for boldness to speak the Word of God. And then look at the results. Look at what took place. Verse 30, By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spake the Word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things which that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And you can just keep reading. They prayed that God would behold their threatenings, give us boldness to preach Thy Word, and then when they done praying, they went out and preached the Word, and souls were saved and added unto the church. I heard the two men pray that the Lord would save and add to this church, that it would grow spiritually and it would grow physically. It will not happen without prayer and bold preaching. And that your pastor, and I know you know this, is not the only one who's to do that preaching. So I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're shaken by God that He'll stir you, wake you up. And you'll be bold in the, in the Lord. Because you're going to stand before Him one day. Give an account you say, God, I was afraid. I was afraid to go talk to this one about the Lord. And so you know what I did? I took my talent and I hid it over here in the earth. I know you're sovereign. I know you're going to save whom you will and have mercy upon whom you will. And so I hid my talent over here in the dirt. And God said, take that talent from him and give it to the other one and cast him out. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God bless His Word. Uh, Brother Cerny, I'm going to turn the services over to you. Brother Stell, somebody. Appreciate the opportunity to preach the Word of God.